Everybody, what is going on? It's your boy Crypto Bobby. I hope you are having a great day, great night, wherever you are watching or listening in from. And welcome to the Crypto Bobby podcast. Today, we have a special episode of Crypto Happy Hour for you. Went live on YouTube, Twitch, and Periscope. If you don't follow me there, I recommend you do so if you ever want to catch the live recordings here. But really took about an hour plus to hang out with the uh, listeners and take some Q&A, answer a bunch of questions about what's happening in the crypto industry. A lot of discussion on what Binance pulling out of the US slash Binance entering the US with Binance USA or Binance US. Uh, thoughts on Libra, thoughts on Leo, thoughts on horoscopes. Not really, but I don't even know what a horoscope is. Uh, a lot of different questions and comments on the crypto space as a whole. So I hope you enjoy this episode as always. Before we hop into it, I want to talk to you guys about my friends over at NetSuite. Look, if you are a business owner, if you are running a company, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem that growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is the variety, the hodgepodge of business systems that they have that are running their business. They have a system for accounting, something for sales, something for inventory all over the place, too much time, too many resources, and it hurts the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle. It is the business management software that handles literally every aspect of your business from accounting to sales to inventory in one easy to use cloud platform, saving you time, money, and unneeded headaches. Trust me on that. I used to work at NetSuite and it is used by a number of the largest and most respected companies in the cryptocurrency ecosystem as well. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash Bobby. Again, that's netsuite.com slash Bobby to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. Let's hop into the discussion. The big thing, the big thing that's happening right now is Bitcoin is basically dominating and eating every single cryptocurrency's launch outside of Bitcoin. Um, when you look at it, if you go to Masari right now on chain FX, which is my jam, as you guys know, uh, on chain FX out of the mid to large cap cryptocurrencies, there are 68 mid to large cap cryptocurrencies. According to on chain FX, we sort that by BTC. There is only one cryptocurrency that has actually only two that have outperformed Bitcoin in the past 24 hours. And one is Binance coin BNB by less than a percent. The other one is Monero by close to 2%. So the just the increase in Bitcoin has seen a lot of the momentum sucked out of the altcoins like pretty heavily. If you look at my Tezos bag, holy shit, that thing is dead. Uh, I'm just watching that die and die and die, which kind of sucks. But um, there is, I would say, a lot of kind of consolidation right now happening in Bitcoin. And I think that might, depending upon what happens, I don't think we're just going to go up and break $10,000. But I would expect a lot of, and people have talked about it and people have mentioned it on the show before in the comments and other places like that. But that $10,000 mark is definitely like a psychological barrier. And I think there's been enough time between the last run uh, in this run in particular, where uh, a lot of individuals and you're going to start seeing even more and more media coverage about it, which will be interesting to see what happens with Bitcoin. But you now if and when we do get past that $10,000 mark, it might be a pretty quick run up after that as well. Want to give a shout out to Jbags who threw in a super chat even before we started. 
who had mentioned he opened up a CDP several months ago. That was honestly one of my best moves for a lot of you folks who might have seen, uh, for a lot of you folks who might have seen that video back in the like heart of the bear market, really, I think it was December or so where I made a video about how to open up a CDP and the price of Ethereum or the price of ETH at that time was $105. So I think some folks, you know, played around with CDPs and, and some of the other, you know, components around DeFi and, and borrowed some, basically borrowed some money and, and actually kind of levered up further on ETH. And obviously if you were to do that with ETH at a $105 or $130, wherever it might've been 150 bucks, you're sitting pretty nice right now. So shout out to JBags for, you know, checking out that CDP and going through that process and shout out to fake Superman, fake Ian Bolina and fake tone Vase as well. I, I don't know who goes through the process of donating money from fake crypto YouTube accounts, but $6 is enough for a burrito for tomorrow. Oh, well, it's enough for half of a burrito for tomorrow. It's New York city. This shit's expensive. Nema, how's it going? I appreciate you here as always. So a good question with uh, a couple of good questions here. So Freeman Young, and we could talk about this a little bit more. Freeman Young mentions this and then uh, YT says this as well. Where can we trade shit coins with no Binance in September? Uh, and then also another question related to that. Is it a good idea for US bag holders to buy more shit coins before Binance dumps us? Um, it will... YT, I don't necessarily know how that would make much sense if you're thinking that Binance is going to dump the market. Why would uh, why would you buy in anticipation of a market dump? Why would you not wait till the market actually goes down with that? Um, however, it's going to be interesting to see how Binance shakes out. I, I never really got a chance to, to talk about this in too much depth. So I think it is going to be really... I, I think it's going to be pretty fascinating to watch this play out in real time because... Binance is now, or at least the way they're positioning it is Binance is basically going to have a US version of, of Binance. And a lot of the tokens that are on Binance right now are not traded on any other US exchange. So what I'm expecting to happen, I think what a lot of other people are expecting to happen is you might be able to trade on Binance in the US and there's going to be a US version, but it's going to look more like a Coinbase where you know maybe there's five or 10 assets. There's not going to be a hundred different shit coins that you can trade so a couple questions there number one what are those assets that are actually going to be on binance us number two is anybody going to actually trade on binance us i think one of the big things for me personally or for a lot of other people too when you look at binance a lot of people went there because you didn't have to kyc you didn't have to kyc for up to two btc daily withdrawal which i mean 18k daily withdrawal is pretty good without kyc so I know a lot of people that have Binance accounts with no KYC whatsoever. And with that, the experience is pretty solid. Now, when you have a Binance US version, one of the things that you want to consider as well is the liquidity is likely going to be siphoned. You're probably not going to have the same uh, liquidity on both platforms that, that you would otherwise. So you, know, you might have a ton of volume on, on Binance Binance, but on Binance US, the order books might be really thin. They're likely going to be bifurcated and that might lead to a, a detrimental experience. And lastly, the thing that, that really, really interests me about what's up and somebody says, God, God bless VPNs. Yeah, that's so two points that so I love the questions as always. Um, God bless VPNs. That is interesting. 
uh, and it's a good point. And I, I am curious with Binance how aggressively they actually geofence because there are some people or some companies that you know they're like, all right, you can't you can't be a US user, but how hard is it for somebody to download a VPN and go in through the VPN? Or alternatively, it used to even be in the case with something like BitMEX where all you had to do was VPN in during the account signup. And then after that, you could go in through the uh, a US IP anytime you wanted. And not until recently, has BitMEX actually gotten pretty strict on the IP addresses people sign in for? So that's one thing. The second thing is a lot of people look at CZ and and talk about CZ as kind of this like mythical godlike entrepreneur in the crypto space. And that very well may be true. He has grown Binance from a from from nothing in early 2017. Binance wasn't around until June or July of 2017. The, the fact that Binance is less than two years old is, or basically just about two years old, is pretty crazy to think about how it's come out of nowhere in two years to kick the shit out of Bittrex, Poloniex, uh, basically every other altcoin exchange and, and taking a lot of volume from other exchanges as well. So the, the question there is not necessarily, did, did Binance grow and, and have incredible growth? Yes, they obviously did. The question is, is was the growth due to Binance playing on a different regulatory setting than a lot of these other cryptocurrency exchanges like a uh, like a Bittrex or like a Poloniex? Were they simply just bad businesses or was Binance that good? Is CZ that good? And I think you're going to see a little bit of it when Binance US launches. If Binance US comes out and like really flounders out of the gate, maybe CZ has just been playing on a different playing field than everybody else. And it's not as, you know, operating in the United States isn't as easy as operating in this like game of regulatory or, you know, or jurisdictional regulatory arbitrage or finance comes in, starts crushing it and immediately becomes one of the top US exchanges. And then shit, CZ is that good of an entrepreneur. So it'll be, it'll be pretty fascinating to see how it pans out. So I had a post today too, and not sure if everybody saw this because I don't think everybody in YouTube follows me and some people on Periscope obviously do follow me on Twitter. But you'll start seeing this a little bit more from me in the near future. I'll explain why later. But if you do happen to know anybody or yourself happen to be a uh, full stack engineer or a um, just in general software engineer that is interested in working in the blockchain and crypto space, but specifically uh, there's an opportunity I know of right now for a company in New York City that is a, a very well-respected uh, blockchain data company that you probably know of and are familiar with. And they're hiring for a full stack engineer. Uh, you could see some of the information just as far as like the comp and uh, equity package. But if you are interested, reach out. My DMs are open on Twitter right now. Um, but if you actually know somebody, uh, I'll pay you a thousand bucks in BTC, ETH or cash for referrals for it. So keep that in mind for that or in the future. Um, and you'll, you'll be finding more out about that later as well, but just wanted to bring that up as I saw that as a question in the comments there too. What's up, nasty J Mike, a making some steak right now. Crypto Bobby Flay. I am thoroughly jealous of that. I actually had steak last night. I do hello fresh and, uh, had steak on the menu with hello fresh. Hello fresh is awesome. I love that thing. Uh, so somebody says is the opera browser with free VPN better than a paid VPN. Personally, I use Nord VPN. Um, they've sponsored the show in the past, but, uh, 
I am a fan of, of NordVPN. It's pretty damn easy to use. It's very user-friendly. I like it a lot. So uh, I, I haven't used the built-in VPN with Opera. I use Nord. So that's a, a good question there, Organic FUD. What are your thoughts on Ripple MoneyGram and Facebook attempting to copy Ripple XRP with Libra? So uh, I guess you could get into a couple different thoughts with that. So number one, uh, MoneyGram itself, I think is kind of a dying company. I mean, it, it doesn't doesn't take much to look at. MoneyGram is the ultimate shitcoin chart in the past 10 years. So here, let's look at this. You guys aren't familiar moneygram absolutely got murdered uh in the financial crisis but their stock used to be 200 plus dollars in like 2007 uh they traded two dollars and 67 cents right now so it's uh moneygram is is the you know is, is a shit coin on the nasdaq but as far as the name and the infrastructure that they have um obviously they have a a distribution system that could help get xrp uh out and help Ripple quite a bit. And for the amount of money that Ripple spent to essentially acquire a portion of MoneyGram, for me, I mean, it's it's not a, I'm not gonna sit here and say, I, I think it's probably a, a decent use of, of Ripple's capital. I think that when you look at Ripple and XRP um, and what they've spent money on in the past, I think this is probably a, a somewhat intelligent utilization of their capital because MoneyGram has the distribution and distribution is is a massive portion of business if they are able to kind of get into the remittance market through moneygram that could be something that is is beneficial for them now facebook and libra is a totally different conversation i think however i do believe that they are at the same point in time competitive in in some respects against what ripple and xrp are building now when it comes down to it uh, there's a lot of regulatory issues that are happening with Facebook and Libra. And I think it's going to be very interesting to watch this play out. I talked about it in yesterday's video, but when you think about Ripple, excuse me, when you think about Facebook, the government, multiple governments basically hate Facebook and whether or not they either hate Facebook, it's just an easy, a lot of people dislike Facebook. I think I don't like Facebook really personally. I'm not a, I'm not a Facebook fan. I'm not never going to sit here and defend Facebook, but I do think I, you know, maybe the one thing I dislike more than Facebook is politicians. And I think it is a very easy thing for politicians to, to look at Facebook and say, Oh wow. Facebook is launching this new thing. We're going to put a, we're going to put a line in the sand. We're going to put our foot down and we're going to protect we're going to protect the people from from big bad facebook where in reality they're not really protecting the the people from facebook they, they don't want to lose control so that's one thing uh but with libra it is interesting i think the only use case i see uh and the only differentiator that i really see is is facebook's user count obviously that is a massive massive um that's that's just a, it's a massive advantage that they have there is no other cryptocurrency that has multiple billion users that they could roll out a product to they could press a button and have billions of, you know they could press a button and have hundreds of millions of users for the platform they could do that nobody else can do that ripple can't do that the ceo of bitcoin can't do that ethereum can't do that nobody can do that uh now on the other end of the spectrum what's the advantage it's the the biggest thing the biggest use case right now for for cryptocurrency in general in my opinion is is speculation you're not going to speculate on a stable coin. You're not going to speculate on a basket of, of, of government currencies. So it's not entirely, entirely interesting to me. I am interested to see how regulators do go after it though, because I think there's going to be a battle and 
I would rather have Facebook fighting a battle in the name of cryptocurrency than I'd rather have a company like Kin fighting a battle for cryptocurrency. Facebook has better lawyers. They have better, you know, they have they have lobbyists. They have money in the bank. They could do that. Kin has a five dollar, or I mean, a five million dollar budget to to defend crypto. You're not going to defend shit with five million dollars. One thing I think that's that's pretty interesting about uh, the Ripple MoneyGram thing, though, was was XRP really didn't move. I thought it would. I thought it would move quite a bit harder. Um, where we got in the past day went up i don't remember exactly when the announcement happened when was the announcement i think it spiked a little bit and is actually down prior or since the announcement so you know fundamentally i think it's 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 i'm not an xrp fan i am not a i don't hate ripple uh i think but i'm as far as an an investment xrp i'm not like oh my god xrp is the best thing in the world um and, and you guys know that a lot of you know that I don't need to harp on that and, and rub it in. I know a lot of you guys get tired of that, but I was actually pretty surprised that uh, XRP only rose up like 5% on the news and then basically retraced in less than 24 hours. So uh, the crypto market itself did not seem to care too much about this whatsoever. Uh, Austin Feinberg, any place to get uh, margin for trading BTC in the US? Um, I, so one of the things that will be interesting to watch is I, I think a lot of, of these companies are trying to now compete. So there's there's kind of two big dogs in the race, I think, in the in the crypto exchange space. And thank you very much for that super chat. Um, Austin, two big dogs. You have BitMEX on the, uh, on the derivatives and margin trading, leverage trading. You know, BitMEX is kind of the big dog there. And then you have Binance within the altcoins. Um, you have now Bitfinex is launching derivatives in the next three weeks. You have Binance uh, that is trying to uh, launch margin trading, leverage trading. Apparently, Coinbase has said they might get back into margin trading as well. Um, so right now, I am not super familiar with uh, the best place to quote unquote legally margin trade BTC in the US. Um, if you look hard enough, I'm not going to do that live on YouTube. Um, if you look hard enough, there are places that you can margin trade uh, BTC with a VPN and no KYC, and you can certainly go ahead and do that. There are also places now it is not, uh, it's not Bitcoin, but if you were interested in something like, uh, margin trading Ethereum, um, you could actually do that with DYDX, which is a non-custodial, uh, non-custodial tool. It's pretty sweet. Actually. I like it quite a bit. Um, but if you were to go ahead and do that, you could do that with DYDX, um, it allows you to trade with up to 4x leverage, uh, long or short, on ETH to DAI, or you could do uh, ETH to USDC or DAI to USDC as well. So uh, some pretty interesting stuff there. Thank you very much for that super chat, right? And although I appreciate that as well, man. Um, still in that, uh, still in that Bitcoin dollar cost, dollar cost average. I would stay in it, brother. I would. I mean. I've said that and I've said it before. I'll say it again. I dollar cost average. I just, it's the easiest, most, you know, it's, it's the easiest way to approach things. Dollar cost average. Just, just do it and your life will be a lot easier. Dollar cost average on a continual basis. And if you see t for specific times where crypto is shitting the bed, like let's say right now we're up against, we're, we're at about $10,000. Something happens. Bitcoin falls all the way back down to 5k. 
you see hey it was just at ten thousand dollars and now it's at 5k maybe i'll up my dollar cost average 2x or maybe i just got a bonus at work or i have some extra money lying around and i want to put more money into it that's basically my that's that's basically what i do on a continual basis i dollar cost average uh every other week and then if the price of crypto just absolutely shits the bed i'll buy more bitcoin i'll buy more eth uh eric john uh why did the ast air swap surge this week i have no idea dude i have no clue uh so naomi uh what is uh your thoughts so her question is your thoughts on earning interest uh in bitcoin lending it for three six months or one year thank you so this is an interesting question. It's a, it's a great question. Um, there are a couple different ways you can do this. And I think the thing with, with lending, there are a lot of people that hate Bitcoin lending or just crypto lending. And there are a lot of people that are, are totally fine with it. One place I would recommend uh, is go to LoanScan. If you are actually interested in doing any type of crypto lending, uh, this is not a paid thing or anything. And you can't even, uh, I, don't, actually, I don't know if they do anything with this. But um, this is just a, a website that compares all the places that you can lend crypto. A lot of it is like done on Ethereum. So it's actually done like on the ETH protocol. But there are also some quote unquote like centralized lenders. Like right now, if you were to lend, uh, what do we have? If you were to lend your Bitcoin to BlockFi, you would earn 6.2% annual interest. If you were to lend that to Celsius, you get 6.1%. You could do that on Bit, uh, Bitfinex, on Poloniex, on some other places. Uh, however, there are risks associated with this. Yes, it is nice to earn 6% interest. Um, and there are certainly some companies I would trust more with my money than others. I like BlockFi. I personally know a number of people there. I trust them to do the right thing. Uh, then there's also some places that maybe are not as, as, as trustable as, or as trustworthy, one might say. And then you also have certain risks that you would see with Poloniex, where Poloniex, people are lending Bitcoin in their margin lending pool. And then the weird, stupid thing, I'm, I'm not sure if everybody saw that, but a weird thing happened with Clams, where basically there was a pump and dump on Clams and Poloniex socialized the losses. So people actually got like a 15% haircut on their Bitcoin that was only earning like 4% interest. So they actually lost money. And it's it's a risk reward thing for you is six percent risk or is six percent interest on an annual basis in bitcoin or in another cryptocurrency worth the potential of losing that if there was a solvency issue if there was if something happened to the company that you gave your bitcoin to because that's the thing it's it, it is true it's not your keys not your coin it's something to consider if anybody's drinking anything good definitely let me know again I have some straight rye whiskey. It's Pinhook straight rye whiskey. It's like 94 proof. It is, I don't even know where it's from. Oh, it's from, from Kentucky, of course. It's the only place to have it. 24 months, yada, yada, yada from Kentucky. Uh, but it's not bad other than the fact that I usually like ice my whiskey in these like metal ice cubes that are supposed to not water it down. I'd rather have it watered down because it is not cold whatsoever. We got, uh, apparently it's it's 10K Bitcoin because I'm seeing McAllen 12. Got some nice red wine. Jameson on the rocks. We got some, we got some good, got some good booze in the, in the mix here. 
And so that's a good question too. My anti-spam box. What's up, brother? Always good to see you as well. It says, when it moves 6% in a day or week, who would risk it? Well, the thing with that is when you do lend your Bitcoin, you're not lending it in USD value. You're So for example, if I were to lend one Bitcoin to a company like uh, to a company, let's say in this case, like BlockFi, you're lending one Bitcoin to that company and then you're earning interest in, uh, so you'll earn interest kind of in BTC and you're holding the value of that Bitcoin. You're not necessarily lending that Bitcoin at $7,000. Let's say if Bitcoin was at $7,000, the price goes up to 9,500. You still capture that upside, which is one of the advantages of it is if you're just sitting with Bitcoin in your wallet and you're not going to earn anything off of it, you can still sit with it essentially, but you can actually earn some yield off of your investment as well. So that's something that I think is attractive for a lot of people because you still get the upside. You also have the downside of Bitcoin price volatility as well. But as of 2019, it's mostly been upside, but you still are able to capture the upside of that investment if you'd like. Uh, did BitConnect give interest on Bitcoin? Honestly, I don't even remember. But I mean, so the, the thing too, and I, I think it really is a shame to be honest with like what BitConnect did to the industry for lending purposes, because there are a lot of people that aren't necessarily familiar with the just kind of ins and outs of borrow and lending. Um, and they think that everything that earns some percentage of interest is is BitConnect. But when you look at it, BitConnect literally offered people 1% interest per day. So if you gave them $100, you would make a dollar a day. So over the course of a year, you would make a dollar a day if you reinvested that, that would compound. It, it's, it's, it's incredibly unsustainable. You would get $1 per day approximately, let's say you'd make 30 or, you know, you make 30 bucks in a month. If you were to lend Bitcoin or to, let's say, if you were to lend Bitcoin to BlockFi, you would make 6% annually. So if all else was equal, if you lent $100 of Bitcoin to BlockFi, the price stayed the same for the entire year, you would make six bucks for the entire year. That is very different than a dollar a day, which is why it sucks that BitConnect kind of came in and everybody knows BitConnect and uh, you know, lending and this and that. Not everything is BitConnect. It's not. It's it's not, it's not, it's not. But it is very obvious when something is a total, complete piece of shit scam like BitConnect, where you're earning, a do, you know, 1% interest per day. Anything above, let's say, 10% interest is something worth examining why you're getting that much in, in interest. And there are certain places here already, you know, with where you are getting over 10% interest, and that is in certain things like DAI right now with compound finance. You can get, uh, you can earn 10% interest if you lend DAI. But the same point in time for me, you know, I could lend DAI at 10%, but then you're not capturing again, then your money's sitting in DAI. I don't really want my money sitting in DAI right now because you're not capturing the upside of the market. Taking a look at some of these questions as always. Shout out to everybody that is on Twitch. Shout out to Urban Hero. Shout out to the folks on Periscope as well. Naomi's drinking Oban single malt scotch whiskey tonight and enjoying happy hour. That sounds 
pretty wonderful. I'm, I'm pretty jealous of that. Um, class born when U.S. Binance? I have no idea. Um, I, I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Yeah, I'm going going back for the Wolverine look. Maybe we'll see. Uh, it's not a bear market beard. It's a it's a Leo line beard now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love pissing people off by saying I own Leo. It's it's kind of fun. People either love it or really really hate it, and most people really really hate it. So eh, whatever. <laughs> it was actually a podcast too. If anybody, I'm not gonna. I already went through the whole uh, Leo shill before. Uh, but if anybody's interested, I was actually listening to a podcast earlier today um, with Kyle Davies from, let me pull it up for you. It's POV Crypto. I'll I'll search it here. Which is a POV Crypto is a solid podcast as well. But if you're interested, um, just search POV Crypto, Kyle Davies on Google. And it's the second thing that pops up. It's Why Leo with Kyle Davies. It's interesting. So, um, this is a company I've gotten more familiar with over the time, but Kyle runs Three Arrows Capital, which is a market maker and, and OTC desk. And they do a lot of work in both um, FX as well as crypto. And they're, I believe, one of the kind of largest players in uh, in Leo right now from a, from a market making and OTC standpoint. And um, he has a really interesting thesis as far as just an interesting thesis and thoughts on uh, Leo in general. So I thought it was a really good podcast. Uh, you know, he also, the first probably 10, 15 minutes, he talks about the difference between uh, trading and, and, you know, being a market maker in FX versus um, being a, a market maker and, and trading in, in the crypto ecosystem. So I would definitely recommend just, you know, take a note and listen to it. It's, it's a solid, it's an informative podcast and it talks uh, about the similarities between Leo and BNB and some of the slight differences as well. Uh, I enjoyed it personally. So uh, he's, he's, I think, a little bit more eloquent on the subject than I am. So something to consider there. What's up, Stefan? Good to see you as always, brother. And somebody else, Slayer fan, is drinking Bell's Too Hard at L. Bell's Too Hard at Solid, man. Uh, I'm waiting on the Bobby effect to happen so you can short BTC. You got to do it now, right? Now, I, I, I don't know. I don't even... I would say I don't even know if I can drop the price of Bitcoin right now, but we we know that is we know that's always true. We know I can always drop the price of Bitcoin. Um, so Stefan says thoughts on all these dexes banning U.S. users, Binance, Bancor, etc. So it's it's interesting to watch. I think a lot of people kind of saw it coming in some respects. It's it's disappointing to see. Um, you know, the, the kind of the common thread or the, the easy, I would say, like excuse on the back end is saying, you know, these you can you know, anybody can use these, you know, anybody can interact with our smart contracts. You just can't use the interface. You just can't use the front end. It's like, well, that's what everything is built for is the front end. Everything's built for your user interface. So the fact that, yeah, we can still interact with your smart contracts, but we can't really, you know, there's no clean interface to actually do anything on them. That that's disappointing. Um, I think there is. I hate the word, but there's regulatory uncertainty in the United States. And I think people, you know, if you look at some of these DEXs that don't have a lot of, of pickup, it's not worth the, the regulatory risk for them to be operating in the U.S. Um, if, you know, there's not that much user base there in general. So it's disappointing to, to, to see. It also goes to show that a lot of, you know, decentralized exchanges aren't very decentralized. Uh, the, the The big word, I think, really in general is, 
a lot of these DEXs themselves should, should just basically be called non-custodial exchanges because that's essentially what they are. They are a cryptocurrency exchange where you don't hold, where they do not hold custody. They are non-custodial, which is a good thing. It is absolutely a good thing. You, you would, I would rather personally have a non-custodial exchange than have a custodial exchange. I think the industry has the technical capabilities to allow individuals to trade while holding their own assets. That is something that there is absolutely a possibility uh, for people to have. So it's it's good that non-custodial exchanges are happening. I think a lot of it's just a bad branding thing. You know, Dex, Dex was a hot word in 2017 and everything is a Dex. Everything is a Dex. But is it really? Not really. <laughs> Jeremy C says instead of instead of tanking Bitcoin, I'm sh tanking altcoins. Yes, they are. Uh, altcoins are definitely, uh, definitely, definitely tanking. So. Uh, and another good point there, I saw an article on Coindesk as well on this. Oh, shout out to my friend Craig Wright. Um, believe, I guess there was a, a couple thousand downloads, which is cool to see. Um, so Stefan mentions, am I bullish on the new alpha apps, iOS, Android for mainnet lightning already tried it out, still buggy. I have not gotten a chance to try it out yet. Um, I was just re kind of, I was doing some different stuff with my Costanova recently. So I haven't gotten a chance to try it out. Uh, but I should download it actually tonight. So I'll get that started. I'll get that process rolling. If anybody else has tried the new lightning app on iPhone or uh, Android, let me know. Would be interested in hearing your thoughts as well. Should I do it? Should I not? For me personally, I use the just Casa uh, Chrome extension. And then I also use the uh, just kind of the, the actual app itself. And I think I have like 0 0.02 outbound and input out 0.02 bitcoin outbound and inbound capacity right now to send transactions so and then i'll use blue wallet occasionally as well if i need to so that's a good point crypto noob um he says wonder if an exchange like bisc gets a few more signups once binance us exodus was announced so that's also something I've been thinking about as well and, and, and kind of working in the, the, the DEX space in general is I don't think it's going to be a massive catalyst for decentralized exchanges, but I do think it'll be an overall plus for decentralized exchanges. And I think that you're going to start to see it. So it depends too. Like a lot of the issue is, is there's a lack of pairs on DEXs and there's a lack of, of liquidity for a lot of people, but one of the things that I think a lot of DEXs have is they have market makers that are making markets from Binance. So essentially you have market makers making markets on Binance and then sourcing that liquidity to some of these DEXs. So basically you are going to be able to buy the same assets that are on Binance on some of these DEXs, likely with a, a small spread because that's how market makers make money. They buy on a, they buy on Binance, they sell it on the DEX. They take the small spread, they hedge it elsewhere, and that's kind of how they go about, at least in the process of cross-exchange ARB, essentially, or, you know, basically making markets on, on different exchanges in a deck space. So I do think it will be a somewhat catalyst for additional volume on, on decentralized exchanges, but a lot of it does come down to the assets too.
And somebody mentioned this right now, but if you're enjoying this and hanging out, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, hit that like button. It helps get this video out to as many people as possible. And I'll stay on here as long as possible because I got, I don't got shit going on tonight. I even, so somebody mentioned, what am I drinking? It is whiskey with on the rocks, on metal rocks that are not cold at all. Uh, I don't know if you can see this. It looks like two something else's. Uh, <laughs> but I also do have a frosted mug in the freezer. So maybe I'll refill and get a beer after this because it'll probably taste better. Uh, good question, Freeman Young. What exchange are you using once Binance places the ban? Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't buy that, that many altcoins anymore. Uh, I am mostly in Bitcoin, ETH, unfortunately Tezos right now, because Tezos is fully retraced from a pretty good gain in the past, like two or three months. Uh, and I am, I am falls deep in Leo. So, uh, I am mostly in those and I feel like, you know, I don't need to be in that. I, I don't, I don't see the market right now as a place where you really want to be in a bunch of different altcoin positions. I think that Bitcoin, I, I don't think that there will ever necessarily be a future where Bitcoin will be the only cryptocurrency, but I do see that people are really starting to like accept the Bitcoin use case of, of like gold 2.0 and starting to get excited about that. And I do think that it is still the most, like I would trust Bitcoin to to go the furthest. You might not see the massive percentage gains is, what the hell is EGT? That's weird. Uh, you might not see the massive percentage gains of some of these altcoins on occasion, but you're also not gonna see the massive losses that you would see with a lot of these altcoins as well. So uh kayla what's up uh lots of youtubers shouting sell all alts your 10 cents or two cents or however many cents so i don't necessarily it's it's a good question um i think it, it's pretty clear right now that bitcoin is is eating a lot of the market share bitcoin dominance is is rather strong at this point in time however I still think that there will likely be some type of, of quote unquote alt season at some point again in the future. If we see another global cryptocurrency mania, which I think is, is still very much a possibility. I've always thought that the $800 billion market cap that we saw in 2017, early 2018 was not the global top of, of cryptocurrency. And I still don't think that's true. So when I look at, you know, when I look at how things are and where things are right now, I still do think that I don't want to say alts are a good investment per se, but I think there might be, you know, some level of a run. The one thing that you, every time you want to think of when you look at all coins is if you have a big run, always take profits, like always take some type of profits. People fall in love with altcoins. And what happens is like, what honestly, what I anticipate happening for a lot of individuals and a lot of people is I think that there will be another altcoin run. I think that, or just another crypto run, obviously, you know, Bitcoin is, is crushing it right now. Bitcoin is that close to $10,000. I tweeted about this before too. When people talk about, and like people look at things, Bitcoin has only been around, uh, in its lifetime for three, about 3,800 days. Out of the 3,800 days, there was only a 100, about a 100 day window, 110 day window 
where the price of Bitcoin was ever above 9,000. The price of Bitcoin was at $9,300 or so when I recorded it. So there was only a 110 day window out of that 3,800 days where the price of Bitcoin was above where it was currently at. Meaning that basically, if you bit, bought Bitcoin at any time during essentially 97% of its lifespan, you were in profit. However, there's a really, really big deal that's made about the other 3% because there was a whole mass media mania about uh, about Bitcoin. There was, you know, that was just when a lot of people got into cryptocurrency and unfortunately a lot of people lost money. However, you have to look at, at the lifetime of things and also what did people buy? Was it Bitcoin? Was it, uh, was it all coins? So something, something to just consider when you are looking at historical value of this stuff. <laughs> Kevin Lewis, who pays taxes on crypto? Well, uh, people who don't want to go to jail, brother, <laughs> especially people with public YouTube channels, man. That's that, that's who pays taxes on crypto. This guy. Oh, and that's, that's what I was getting to opioid or Q point. I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's Basically, the, the 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 lesson here, I think, for for any alt season is, and and what I kind of anticipate happening again in the future is, you're gonna see some type of of Bitcoin run, and then when Bitcoin cools off, because there's you can see, so you can see right now what happens. Basically, we go over to OnChain FX, you can see Bitcoin goes up three percent. Essentially, Bitcoin is up three percent against USD and is sucking money out of the altcoins. What happens when Bitcoin goes down 3%? Does that money, is that money leaving the ecosystem? Is that money going back into fiat? Or, or is that money going into large cap cryptocurrencies, mid caps, small caps? And that's kind of what happened in, in late 2017, early 2018, where you had that Bitcoin run from $3,000 straight up to $20,000. And when Bitcoin came down, Bitcoin didn't, a lot of the money didn't go to, you know, just to USD or to fiat or to the Korean won or to whatever. Uh, it went into altcoins and the altcoins because they were, it just doesn't take much to move altcoin books. They went sky high. And a lot of people got in early and did not cash out. And I, I cashed out some, but, you know, looking back at it, I would have obviously been a lot better if I cashed out a lot more. And I think that's something that a lot of people will kind of go through the same problem again, where everybody looks at this and they tell themselves, you know, if I make a bunch of money this time around, I'm going to cash out, I'm going to cash out. But then a lot of people get to the point where even if it's Bitcoin or if it's whatever, um, I don't know if it's ETH, if it's, if it's anything, you get to the point where it's like, oh, I'm making hundred percent. Oh, I'm making 200%. Oh, I'm making 300%. I, all I need is all I need is another two X. All I need is another five X and I can retire and I can do this and I can do that. And you get to a point where, you know, you say, Oh, you know, all I need is this much more and you never get that much more. And then it just kind of fully retraces and then you're stuck. So, uh, Jason B. So which crypto storage device do you recommend? Um, personally, I like ledgers, but I also know a lot of people like Trezor. I would say the two industry standard are to use a ledger or a Trezor. Those are what I would use. Those are what I would recommend. I don't necessarily think you could go wrong one way or another. Um, I would recommend if you have any amount of money, anything that is material to you, if you lost it, uh, I would put that in hardware storage. And to that point, when you look at, uh, you know, when you look at crypto, this was, 
So let's see. I'm reading this right now, and I, I tweeted about it the other day. So this book came out. What do we got? I'm reading it, or I'm, I'm listening to it, actually, on, on Audible right now. Um, but it's a, it's a good book. I like it. Um, it's from Ben Mesrick, who wrote, I think it was the, you're right, The Social Network, or he wrote the book that... This, accidental billionaires which was the social uh the the book that uh, a social network was based off of he also wrote the poker books that i liked uh busting vegas straight flush and bringing down the house um so he i he's an entertaining author uh, at the very least but he talks about the story of kind of the winklevoss brothers and their journey into into bitcoin and into crypto and the reason i bring this up right now is uh, the reason I bring this up is because people asked about uh, st crypto storage. This, the story that they had in this book that I was listening to was they bought a bunch of Bitcoin. So the Winklevoss brothers apparently bought about $10 million worth of Bitcoin when Bitcoin was, I think, around $10. Uh, they started buying at least when it was around $10. Uh, and at one point in time, the Winklevoss brothers owned about 1% of the Bitcoin supply, of the total supply of available Bitcoin. They started buying it about 10 bucks, and then they just continued to just accumulate the shit out of Bitcoin. And what they did, the story of them going through and uh, storing their Bitcoin, so they realized that like they were just looking at a lot of the stories and things like that of people losing their hard drives or getting hacked and, and getting robbed or whatever it might've been. So what they did was they got hexadecimal dice and they had one computer, they had one laptop where they, they bought brand new laptops. They got a new router, they got a brand new printer and they bought um, one computer where they downloaded, they had a hot computer where they downloaded the Bitcoin software and then they moved that uh, Bitcoin software to a cold computer that had never touched the internet. And then they took hexadecimal dice or 16-sided dice or whatever they were, took 16-sided dice, and they rolled them on a table that they made sure was level to get their private key. They entered the private key because they didn't want to use any type of random or computer-generated software. So they literally rolled dice, 16-sided uh, dice, to get their private key. They taped towels over their windows so that nobody could see anything. They turned their, they like threw their phones out of the room so that their phone didn't have any recording, anything like that. But then the coolest part I thought, or the most interesting part was the fact that they went to um, 12 different regional banks and they took, so they had their private key and they broke it up in three chunks. They had Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie. And then they went to 12 different banks and they put one shard of a private key in each bank. But the reason they didn't just do three banks was because in case, um, and they did it on paper storage, as somebody mentioned, the reason these, uh, the reason they did it on 12 banks, so they basically did it four times, was because, you know, what happens if there's a tornado in the Midwest or if there was a flood on the East Coast or something like that? So they basically had uh, multiple redundancy in numerous places for these paper, uh, for these shards of paper wallets. And even if somebody robbed one bank, basically, and specifically knew that they could go there, they would only have one third of their private key in a, uh, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the safety deposit box. 
But the fact that they basically did it over the course of 72 hours and the places they went to, it was like bumfuck Iowa and all over the place. So I thought that was one of the funnier slash more interesting, cooler stories that the Winklevoss brothers were so legit and serious and to the point of, of paranoid to a good thing because it's better to be paranoid in crypto than not. Um, and so they were they were so serious about it that they put their private key in a specific methodology with shards in 12 different safety deposit boxes basically across the country, I'm sure. And then somebody was saying on Twitter, like, you know, is is that their OPSEC now? It's like, you know, everybody knows that now. It's like, I'm sure it's evolved since then, but that was in like 2012 when you had, uh, you know, Mark Carpellis and Mt. Gox is the highest source of liquidity for crypto. So... <laughs> So what's going on here? Taking a look at some of these questions. Uh, Nasty J, what's going on, man? Appreciate that super chat. Thank you so much. Dark horse, double crooked tree on me. That sounds delightful. Uh, Bitcoin hex, I have no idea. Uh, but typically anything that has Bitcoin in the name of it and is not Bitcoin, I am not a fan of. Um, not nah, No Bitcoin forks. I, th I just think that anything else that has like any other cryptocurrency that has Bitcoin in the name of it, I think is basically just trying to hijack the name. And I'm um, usually not a massive fan of it. Uh, Lloyd Almighty, what's up, brother? Carrot Bank, what do you think of KBC? I'm not too familiar with it, unfortunately. Uh, ben Oppenheimer, what's up, brother? Uh, just tipping my hat to you. Thanks for grinding and keep us informed. Thank you so much. I appreciate that super chat. Um, Jono, what do you think will happen to Litecoin with the halving? Well, I, I mean, I think it's, it's fairly interesting to see Litecoin as one of the only altcoins that is performing let's let's pull it up against btc i mean litecoin has performed extremely extremely well in 2019 not only against the us dollar but also against bitcoin one of the few altcoins that is outpacing bitcoin i would think that a lot of that is due to the having i think that many people look at havings and things like that and they're like it's already priced in it's already priced in I don't think it is. I, I, I just don't. Like people already point to Bitcoin and say the halving's priced in. I think that's bullshit. I, I, I don't think people know what they want to eat tomorrow for breakfast, let alone can properly value what the reduction in supply of Bitcoin to its miners will have on the effective Bitcoin price or on the Litecoin price in three months or in 12 months or whatever it might be. So I do think that you know, any type of supply reductions, I think, are very underrated in the crypto space. Um, so I, you know, I'm not a big Litecoin fan personally from like an investment perspective uh, or from a use case perspective. Um, but I do think a having is obviously a very bullish thing for a crypto, you know, any reduction, whether it's Ethereum reducing the supply to miners, whether it's Litecoin, uh, whether it's Bitcoin in the future with its having, whether it is token burns. Those are all very important and influential. And I do think that that they often go underrated by you know, a lot of people in the crypto space. Uh, what's up, Naomi? Uh, how does BNB do, still doing well even after they announced they will no longer allow US citizens to trade as of September? I mean, when it comes down to it, a lot of the stuff that that 
is providing value to BNB. If we're looking at it right now, um, a lot of the things that are providing value to BNB, US users don't have access to anyway. So I think that one of the big things that has pushed forward the, the valuation of BNB has been the IEOs that Binance has had on their platform. The IEOs and, and the implementation of, of uh, token offerings on, BN, uh, you know, on Binance where you have needed to purchase BNB to participate in those token sales, that has been a very bullish thing for the Binance token. However, as a US user, you've never been allowed to access them. So I'm sure US users have been buying BNB and speculating on the price of BNB, but they haven't been the ones perhaps like driving up the bulk of the demand. Um, I, I do ultimately think it is somewhat bearish for Binance. It's just more regulatory BS, like, you know, for them to deal with. I think that it's, it's it'll be interesting to watch out. I talked about it before. Is this something where we find out that Binance and CZ have been crushing it because they've been playing on a different regulatory playing field? Or do we find out that Binance and CZ have been crushing it because they are that good and they are that legit at, you know, as, as business operators and, and know the crypto space that much better than everybody else. So I, I, I can't necessarily speak to exactly why BNB uh, has done so well post that announcement, but it did full, you know, it did retrace down to, you know, or went down to 30 bucks or so, and is, is pretty much fully retraced and is now at an all time high as well. Guys, give me one second. I'm going to go grab a beer because I'm, um, taking my last sip of this. So I'm going to go grab a beer. I'll be back in literally 30 seconds. So don't go anywhere. Actually hit the like button while you're there. And so this, my friends, is what's worth waiting for. I don't know if you can see this, but it's beautiful. That's a frosted mug. That's going to be wonderful. There's nothing better than beer. And then there's nothing better than beer in a frosted mug. So <laughs> I am slightly excited. And what am I drinking? Because why not? Um, don't judge me, but you can judge me. This is a Montauk watermelon session L because session ale because I am comfortable with my sexuality and I have no problem drinking a pink beer. Come at me. What's the ABV? It's 4.9. So it's not terrible. It's not, it's not an 8% beer, but I also was just drinking something with a 46.75 ABV. So, Hey, why not? We gotta, we gotta cool it off and level out before the end of the night. Uh, Bitcoin FATF. <laughs> so where's, where's my friends over at coin center? They just published something. So if you want to read this, I haven't gotten a chance to go through it. Shout out to Peter Van Valkenburg, Neeridge and the whole crew over at, uh, coin center. I think they do God's work. Um, so they've talked a little bit about FATF and why it is not doomsday for crypto. And what's happening with that? It's essentially a new regular, new inter-government regulation that uh, some people are speculating will be highly damaging to cryptocurrency as a whole. Hold on, let me get some beer, man. Goddamn, that's good. So they're looking at it, at least in the U.S., as not a major departure, not you know, not a major departure from a lot of the. Uh, current change, but if you'd like to read the entire thing, I would definitely recommend uh, you go ahead and do so. Let me see if I can paste that in. There we go. It should be in the chat, hopefully. If not, I'm not sure. 
R.I.P. my taste buds. No way, sir. <laughs> so, Doom Vapor, uh, thanks for that super chat, man. I appreciate it. USA Binance user selling off alts reason for pump. Um, I would, I would doubt it, but it could be a contributing factor. I, I mean, Bitcoin is not up. Bitcoin is definitely not up massively since the news of Binance, uh, turning back us users. I don't think at least, but it could be a contributing factor for sure. So. Naomi, thanks so much for the time. As always, great to see you. Should be back. I should be back with more uh, crypto happy hours after being out of the loop for a little bit. So uh, thank you very much for the super chats and generosity there. And, and always good to see you. <laughs> so Mars Soldate says the reason for the pump is that the outer spirals of the black holes aren't as, or the black hole uh, aren't as intense. And that could vary. I mean, when you look at a lot of, I, I still maintain that, uh, and that's why I talked about dollar cost averaging before and just buying very, very large dips if you have the financial capability to do so. Um, I still don't think that there is a really strong way to value cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, a lot of these assets in the near term. If you want to point to technical analysis and you have a skill set to do so, sure, absolutely. I do think technical analysis actually in cryptocurrency has a lot more merit than in other uh, places because there is no other way to really like point to and, and value these assets outside of, of the charts. However, I don't think that they dominate everything. They don't tell the entire picture. They don't tell the story of one random dude buying a shit ton of, of Bitcoin or you know selling a ton of some specific asset. They don't tell the story of the Winklevoss twins going and buying you know, 1% of the supply back in the day or, you know, that stuff happens behind the scenes and that does drive things. And, you know, sometimes it can add confirmation bias to somebody's chart or it can support it or it can deny it. But there isn't a fantastic way to, to point at this point in time. And I don't know if there will be for quite some time to really properly evaluate these assets. Eric Young, what do you think the price of Leo will be in the next six months? Well, it's at about a buck 90 right now. Um, I have no idea. I, I really don't. Um, the one thing that, that I am interested in watching with Leo personally is well, two things right now. Uh, number one, are they going to execute on IEOs in the platform? They had ample forth on Bitfinex. I think ample forth was actually a pretty well-respected uh, company in the crypto space. And I think a lot of people are interested by it. I don't believe you needed to own Leo, though. I don't think Leo was incorporated into the Ampleforth IEO yet. Well, what happens when there are IEOs on Bifinex and Leo is incorporated? You either need to buy it and, and pay for the IEO in Leo, or you need to hold it like the lottery ticket that Binance has now. That drives up demand for things quite a bit. So that's something to keep in mind. What happens there? And then how does the impact of derivatives work with leo as well uh derivatives are apparently coming to bitfinex in like three weeks and they're doing a big platform upgrade the next week so that's something i'm looking at personally i am really bullish on on leo 
I, I just am. You can say you can say whatever you want about it. I, I don't care. It is what it is. I'm not telling you to buy it. You can think it's the biggest shit scam on planet Earth and that, uh, you know, it's it's a fraud and tether and this and that and the other thing and bad things and yada, yada, yada. You can think that. And that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. Um, and that's that's the beauty of opinions. And it, it is what it is. Uh, I just, I think the combination of having a company that brought in $400 million and is buying back 27% of, of, you know, gross revenue. And then signing the possibility of any level of, of recovery from the, uh, Bitcoin hack that happened in 2016, as well as potentially any level of recovery of the $800 million in funds from crypto capital that are both would, would potentially both be used to buy back Leo. Uh, those buybacks plus the incorporation of, of new assets into, uh, the, basically of, of new things into Leo, I'm, I'm bullish on it. So what do you think of Kraken's equity sale? I didn't get a chance to look at it too much, uh, to be pretty frank, but it is interesting because, you know, things like BNB and things like Leo are obviously not equity. You, you have no ownership rights. You, you have no you just don't have you don't have investor rights essentially they're kind of faux equity you you in some respects kind of get like exposure to the success of the business of binance with bnb you at you know in some ways get exposure to the success of of bitfinex with leo however you know you certainly don't have like legal repercussions and things like that that you would with equity uh however the upside is i think a lot higher uh in in many ways with these tokens and then you also have the the option of liquidity as well. Like if you want to get out, you can get out. Uh, somebody said, "Where can you store Leo? Good exchange to buy Leo." It's 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 like sixty five percent ERC twenty token, and the other I don't know thirty five percent of it is on EOS. So they did a kind of a cross platform issue. It is on a number of of dexes if you want it. Um, it's on Switchio is one of the DEXs. You can go to CoinMarketCap and see some of the places as well. I think it's on like C2CX or something like that. If you, Just check out CoinMarketCap and check the market there. It's it's actually now, I think it just got added to the... I want to say it just got added, so it's a top 20. Yeah, it's it's Unis said Leo. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's lucky number 13, which is always a good sign. Um, but yeah, it's Unis said Leo. And if you click on the markets on, on CoinMarketCap, uh, you can see where it's traded. It's primarily on Bitfinex. If you're out of the US and you have a KYC account on Bitfinex, you could buy it there. Outside of that, uh, it's on a couple other places like OKX, Switchio, um, C2CX. I think it's on IDEX as well. I don't think there's enough volume on IDEX to actually show it here, but it is an ERC20 token, so you can buy it through a lot of these DEXs as well. Uh, so this is uh, Monero Dinero. Uh, are you throwing some of your Roth into ETH E tomorrow? So this is definitely something you want to take a look at uh there's a couple of reasons why you want to take a look at it number one the first buyers of this got erect um so let's see let's see if i can pull this up uh so grayscale so if you're not familiar grayscale investment trust which is barry silbert uh it is dcg uh but grayscale investment trust is one of the companies let me just kind of adjust this real quick
So Grayscale Investment Trust is the company that currently offers GBTC. If you're not familiar, GBTC is one of the only ways right now that you can buy Bitcoin exposure through a retail brokerage account. Uh, it's under the ticker GBTC. It's not an ETF. It is traded on OTC markets. And it's it, it might be confusing for some people because OTC in the crypto sense means over-the-counter trading. There is a company literally called OTC. Uh, you can go here. I actually worked with them or, or talked to them a bit when I worked at Oracle. Um, it, so they have their 